Welcome to African Theological Scholarship Podcast, where scholars of African Christianity and theology discuss their research. Your host is Harvey Quiani, professor of African theology at Liverpool Hope University. Here's today's episode. I am Emmanuel Igunu, and um, by the grace of God, I serve as the Anglican Bishop of the Diocese of Lokoja in Nigeria. Um, Koja is a little bit of Nigeria as it is structured today. And I usually say, when people hold up a map of Nigeria, they will see two main rivers uh, almost going across Nigeria. Now, there's a point where the two rivers meet at a confluence. That's where Lokoja is. Um, and I will say more about uh that later. But yes, uh, I have been bishop in Lokoja now for about uh, 16 years, and uh, um, I had a chance to serve for 10 years as a bishop of that province. But um, I have had an abiding interest in uh, scholarship, not just for its own sake, but um, to, to, to make our faith relevant in our context. Um, for far too long, people have seen uh, been foreign uh, to Africa. And uh, so you, you find that people who are talking about um, a revival of culture uh, will tell you that, um, no, let's go back to our indigenous uh, uh, traditional religion. Uh, and I am concerned that we must make sense of Christianity. Uh, yes, it had to come through missionaries, Western missionaries, um, but we do need to own it and express it uh, in a way that is not alien to African uh, uh, environment. I am committed to that. So uh, in, my, in my work as a bishop, I want to be able to let people know that we are not second-class citizens. Uh, we are not uh, the kind of situation that um, Paul had to address with the Gentiles and the Jews, uh, sort of. So I, I just uh, have tried to say, look, let's get into scholarship. Let's uh, make sense of it and see its relevance. Yes, so that... Um, has taken me uh, into that world, even if uh, it's a tip too. I started with literature, uh, and you will see how that also formed my, my, my attitude. Because uh, as one who was reading literature, uh, we came to comparative literature, that's my first degree, and we were talking about decolonizing literature. So um, you were not just reading um, Shakespeare, Charles Dickens, Thomas Hardy, and all the um, English uh, literary figures and the poets, but we needed to also understand that the only kind of literature there was was not English literature. So um, we needed to look at uh, literature in Africa, uh, even though written in English, it was rooted in the African experience, so called literature in English. 
And uh, if, you, if you looked at um, uh, South Africa, um, they, were, they were addressing issues that were of concern to them, um, protests uh, against uh, racism. Uh, and so uh, if, you, if, you, if you went to what we now call African-American, they were also uh, doing that. Uh, the Caribbean, uh, poets like Derek Walcott. So finding that um, even in literature, people were trying to root their uh, understanding and to decolonize it, I saw, I saw that almost every discipline we need to make sense of that. So I, I carried that over into um, my study of, uh, uh, of uh, church history uh, to, to know not just what others have said about us, but how we have understood it and how we have expressed it. Uh, so yes, the first um, I, I did a master's degree uh, in post African church history, and this made me focus on um, what is called Calvary Ministries, Capo. Uh, Why did I do that? Most of the mission agencies we had seen was CMS and all the other ones, but this was an initiative. Of young people, fresh graduates, but it was essentially by Africans. This was Nigerian youth. So, uh, yes, over time, they, they, they got some ideas. Uh, they needed to collaborate with uh, a network with uh, other mission agencies, YWAM, and others that have done it. But that this was an initiative of young people, young graduates, feeling a need to, to um, evangelize. So um, I did my work on, on Calvary Ministries uh, because it was an indigenous initiative. And I always want to explore the fact that Africa has come of age and um, it is not a second-hand thing. We can't own it as a first-hand um, thing. So, um, getting into uh, my doctoral uh, research, um, uh, I, I felt, okay, fine, let's go back to where it all started, our encounter. Yes, the CMS brought Christianity to us, um, and so that's what uh, uh, took me. It wasn't just to get a degree, but to see how all of this could make sense uh, in my opinion. Uh, Understanding of Christianity and passing it on to others. Yeah. yeah. Um, let me take you back a bit. Uh, you have talked about comparative literature. Yeah. Uh, studying decolonizing, decolonizing language or something like that. Yeah. Um, would you remember one or two books that you found helpful at at, at that level, at that time? There, were, there was Chino Achebe who wrote um, Things Fall Apart. Sure. Um, and he was talking about how the, um, how the encounter of the traditional setting with Christianity uh, divided the, 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 the society, really, because there were those who had to live what they once believed 
to embrace the new thing. So, uh, like he says, things fall apart. And he was quoting from the poet, uh, things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Um, so it, it it was like a disintegration of uh, uh, the society. Uh, there are others. Um, you would, um, it was a common thing then. Ngugi uh, um, the Kenyan writer, um, who wrote Good Not Child and uh, a number of other things, uh, The River Between, Petals of Blood, Devil on the Cross. Um, there is the, 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 the um, uh, struggle for independence, for instance, uh, captured by um, Kenneth Kahn, that Zambia shall be free. Um, there is also Alan Payton's Cry the Beloved Country. Mm-hmm. And then if you if you, if you go into um, uh, the Caribbean, Derek Walcott, like I talked about, uh, was a poet. Um, and then uh, there, are, there are other novelists in the African-American setting. But there was the need for people to have an authentic voice of their own. I could go to poets too, like Christopher Okibo, uh, David Diop, and uh, a number of others like that there. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I mean, we, we're doing history here, and I think this, the mention of these names, the mention of these books uh, needs to be done so that um, our listeners, especially the younger generation of Africans, continue to be aware of where we are coming from as a people, why we actually talk about decolonizing languages, decolonizing yeah. Decolonizing church history, as you're doing in, in, in your thesis. Yes. And indeed, I mean, to just root some of what they did, to within the, the, the political struggles for identity, like, for instance, there was um, this um, thing about the negritude uh, in French literature. So all of that was an attempt to find their voice without making an apology. Sure. That's helpful. Thank you so much for saying that. Let's let's go back to your PhD now. Um, it comes out of JOS. What what did you explore? And why did you why why did you choose to explore that question? Right. Um, thank you. I for quite some time like I said, I had been interested in this whole issue of contextualizing faith, decolonizing, and some call it enculturation. Uh, so um, while pursuing all of that um, and helping people to know that you are not um, you are not latecomers, you are not um, second-hand citizens as far as Christianity is concerned, I became Bishop of Lokoja, um, which uh, uh, has been known to be the uh, gateway of Christianity to Northern Nigeria. Uh, and again, Northern Nigeria has been understood erroneously by many people uh, to be essentially um, Islamic. Uh, and um, uh, so again, going back to the roots where it all started, uh, you hear people say that uh, uh, in Nigeria, the north is mostly uh, Islam and the south is um, 
Christian or, or traditional African religion. And so I, I, I found that coming to Lokoja uh, and seeing the, the, the society itself and how people related, there was a place where there were Christians, there were Muslims, and there were um, traditional uh, religionists uh, side by side. And so I wanted to see how did this community evolve from what you call a polyglot to a situation where they could relate. And as we were hearing of um, um, religious crises and riots, we found that this was a place where in the same family you had Christians and Muslims. And they call themselves brothers and they related. And I just wanted to uh, get to the root of that. Um, so I, uh, I, I went there. To, to, I began to just dig into uh, how it all started. And something that made Stokoja particularly interesting, not just uh, the missionary encounter, but there were at least three levels of foreign um, influences there. There, there. there were the um, commercial agents, I would say. Those who came not because they were Christian, they simply wanted legitimate trade. And, uh, you know, um, the Lander brothers who had uh, come uh, in uh, October 1830 and had, you know, said that they had discovered the Niger. And I find that very funny. Uh, you are discovering something that had always been there. So, <laughs> um, but they talked about some of the potentials that were there uh, for to open it up, really, for trade. And so um, the first uh, uh, expedition was, strictly speaking, a commercial uh, uh, endeavor. And so we also... We had these commercial interests, and then we had the missionaries who took advantage of that and came along on the team to also introduce Christianity along with other things. But then came uh, uh, after the scramble for Africa, um, came the uh, colonialists, and so suddenly finding three levels of um, um, foreign uh, foreigners, as it were, uh, people couldn't differentiate uh, between the interests. Uh, every white person had, as far as they were concerned, the same purpose. So um, the missionary was seen as one who came to exploit, um, you know, either commercially or he sided with the colonialists. So I, I was concerned that we should delineate um, the different interests and influences and to even show that at some point um, there were conflicts among these uh, groups. Uh, so it's, it's more like uh, an apologetic of some sort to defend um, the, 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 the missionary didn't do everything 100% right. Sometimes they allowed themselves 
to be um, carried away by uh, racial sentiments. But that is not the big picture, and that's not all the story. Um, so I, I was concerned to the essence of mission, the missionary enterprise in a place like that, which now became the gateway uh, to the north. And from what I said earlier, that the two rivers met there, those were the only, uh, or rather the most popular uh, pathway then. Uh, there weren't railways at that time. So if people had to travel by, by sea, and this was uh, a confluence of two big rivers, it was only natural that um, Christianity came from the south, uh, Badagri, Abelkuta, and then to the east, um, Onicha, of course, uh, coming around Boni, and then up to Lokoja, which is right in the middle, and then began to go to the other northern. You have referred to the two rivers quite a lot. Can we mention their names? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they are today. They are today known as um, the River Niger, okay, and Benue. Even though uh, at the initial times, some of the older documents will call them the Sada River uh, and Kora. So, which uh, so, one is is Niger? Okay, um, the Niger mm-hmm. was the Sada, T-S-H-A-D, and then the Kora is uh, the the Benue. Um, So if you see some of the older uh, uh, historical records, they would call them by those names. Are are these names still existent somewhere in common language today, or they are gone? Um... Some have suggested that uh, the Kora River or the, the name Kora has uh, gave rise to what we call Kora uh, State today. I have not changed that up, but um, they are not in popular use anymore today. All right. That's, that's helpful. When you started talking about your your research, you said something in passing, and I think it's critical that I follow that up. You you talked about contextualizing, yeah, decolonizing, yeah, and incarceration in one sentence. Does that reflect how you think about this? That contextualization would actually involve decolonizing Christianity. Definitely, I do. Um, because uh, in the in the in the historical experience that I have explored, um, we found a situation where, in the early stages, um, to be a good Christian meant imbibing certain Western uh, lifestyle, and people couldn't quite differentiate uh, between culture, the cultural baggage, and the uh, faith itself. Uh, Of course, the faith will always come in a gap, 
I'll give an example. So, for instance, people would, um, would, would go for baptism, uh, converts would be baptized, and uh, they would have names that are quite meaningful in their native language uh, and not, nothing pagan about it, but um, the, uh, the priests in those days would uh, expect you to, if you were going to come for baptism, those names needed to be changed to more befitting names. Uh, and um, by being more befitting, they, they were not just referring only to names in the Bible, which were Jewish names anyway, but also uh, names like uh, Jones and Robert and uh, Landry's and, uh, you know, and you found people bearing names, um, you know, to show that they were really converts. Um, and uh, this had nothing... So the, the, the more meaningful names in their culture had to be discarded to show that they were, they, they were now truly converted. Um, we also have instances of um, weddings, for instance. Uh, there were attires that you could use for wedding. Very beautiful native dresses, uh, but um, by the time this came, you, 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 you had to be um, uh, dressed in suit and uh, <laughs> wedding gowns, and, you know, one could go on and on. So um, I think contextualization means being able to say, um, yes, some things in our culture are unchristian and should be discarded, but not everything needs to be discarded. There's this saying about, you know, you could throw away the baby with a bath of water and things in our setting that needed to be retained and possibly Christianized. Um, to not, there was nothing wrong with them. Uh, in those initial stages too, uh, even in the church gatherings of the new believers, you had to sing uh, hymns that were composed from uh, churches in the West. And I do like poetry, and I like the poetry of hymns. Um, but also... Uh, and, and the instruments were things like uh, the organ. And, and, and here were people coming from a background of being used to percussion instruments, drums, and, uh, and um, other kinds of instruments that they were used to. And the missionaries sometimes dismissed these things as being British uh, because they had been using insurance. That was all they knew. Now, could they sing Christian songs with those kind of instruments? Uh, I think it was around the Biokuta area that um, uh, Ajay Crowder and some of the missionaries actually allowed the um, um, uh, converts to use some of the instruments. So of course, that has changed over time. Um, and now you can have drums and uh, other flutes and instruments that were used in shrines before, that can be used in the church to worship the living God without being necessarily um, uh, engaging in, in fetish practices. So uh, it's my, I think that if we must uh, uh, contextualize a good amount of uh, 
decolonizing has to be done. I agree with you on that one. I I I love I love this work. I, I love the fact that we. I mean, as you've said, the African church is coming of age now, uh, and it has to be able to have its own identity. Yeah, and through think through issues in its own African ways. So yes, yeah. uh, we cannot contextualize without decolonizing. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about your research um, process, research methods, and um, whatever you did to, to get your data. Well, yeah. Um, at that level of uh, doctoral research, it was important to um, not just rely on secondary sources, uh, because uh, in every secondary source, good as they are, um, the, uh, the interpretation of somebody else. And um, I wanted to take a fresh look at some of the things that were uh, on ground. Um, so um, it was important for me to well, access the um, original sources as much as possible. Already in that, se- in, in that setting in Lokoja, um, so so many things had become merely um, uh, just oral tradition. People who 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 had lived and had seen certain things, and they tell you the names of some uh, missionaries and what they did. That's what you are hearing from the people who are very old. What you read from the book, which is the account, you know, some of the um, uh, missionary. Uh, uh, missionaries is one thing. So you found that for the same event, you had different perspectives. And what I wanted to do was to say, yes, the missionary journals and accounts are accurate, but they are from a subjective um, perspective. And um, you needed to also hear the interpretation of the person you were writing about. Um, if, for instance, a New, New Yam festival, it is his way of saying uh, we are thanking God or whatever represented God. And when the missionary sees it and he interprets it differently, um, it, 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 it gives a different uh, picture. Uh, there's a very uh, beautiful work that has been done to uh, re- recover that setting. Uh, something done by um, Professor Femi Kolako in, in Canada. Um, he, he transcribed the journals of one of the native agents who, who worked uh, on the Niger. Uh, at this conference area. And of course, it is written in, in, in poor English, um, but you could see nuances. You could see his, his way of understanding some of these things um, in a different way. It gives you a rich understanding. Uh, I'm actually, in my research, um, the primary 
sources. Um, and of course, in historiography, you need to do that. Uh, go to the source. Uh, and that took me uh, to archives that were dedicated, like the uh, CMS archive at the Cadbury uh, collection of uh, the University of Birmingham. I went there a few times to, to actually see some of the things that were recorded and written. And because I lived there and, and I understand what the people were saying, I could say much of the uh, uh, missionary account is accurate. The interpretation was flawed because I have access to um, um, what I would say a more accurate interpretation. This is why the people did it, not just this is what they did, but okay. this is why they did it. And, and, and it's important because if you just base your reaction, uh, and anthropologists will, will say better about this, we just base a reaction on what the people did without understanding what it meant to them, then a great part of the meaning is, uh, is lost. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you so the effect of this. There were some times when some people were prepared for confirmation uh, and they memorized uh, all that they were to memorize, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, in a language that was not necessarily their own, but the foreign missionary didn't know that was not their native language, just the common language that they memorized it, they knew everything, they could just say it without the meaning of what it was. And uh, so I really wanted to go to the source. And besides going to the CMS archives, I now went to the northern uh, National Archives in Nigeria to now see how the same situation reported by the CMS missionary was reported, uh, you know, in the National Archives, or indeed the same situation reported by the CMS missionary and the account of the colonial administrator in the same setting. Um, of course, uh, so I, I placed a lot of emphasis on access to the uh, material, and that remains my focus to say, let's get it, let's reinterpret it in the light of um, better understanding uh, of bigger picture, so that um, history is not based on a subjective interpretation, but on a more holistic understanding. Can you give an example of an event or something that's interpreted differently by the missionaries or the colonial agents and the local people? Just just one example. Right. Um, there's a place around um, Nokoja called the Owara community where um, the the the, the converts, the Christian converts, uh, felt that they should go to uh, worship on Sunday. And um, the, the community felt that it was not right to keep them. Uh, and so what, what they tried to do, so these converts, was to go out in the morning wearing their farm clothing, you know, dirty clothes, they are still going to the farm and then um, put their Sunday clothes in a bag 
And by the time they'd gone some distance, they now brought out their Sunday clothing to 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 to, to go go and use. Now, when you see the account in the in the um, uh, national archives, while the Christians saw it as persecution, the colonialists, the colonial uh, administrators, saw it differently, and that happened uh, a few times. Um, the here, here were the um, um, converts paying money to church as part of their offerings, and the and the colonial administrator expected them to also pay tax. And the missionaries felt that no, 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 this was um, double uh, obligation, as it were. Where if they're already paying in the church, the colonial master said no that they are paying to the church does not uh, excuse them from uh, doing what they were supposed to do to the state. Um, there, there are quite a number of... The, so many things are coming to my mind at this time, but it was commonplace that, um, you know, the missionaries would see it one way, the colonialists or the uh, indigenous people will say it uh, the other way. So, I mean, this is historiography. Yeah. Um, what what came out as your research findings? Oh, right. Um, one is the fact that um, Christianity could exists with its own identity uh, as something that uh, by the time you go through the different phases, it was growing to understand and to have an identity of its own. Uh, and so it wasn't just a foreign religion. It was God's message for mankind. Secondly, is the fact that um, Christianity uh, provided the basic foundation for um, uh, Western education because people were trained um, regardless of their faith. Once they were part of the community, um, the school was established and everybody was welcome. And as they came and people were educated, um, children of the Christian converts sat in school side by side with um, Muslim children. Indeed, in Lokoja right now, the traditional ruler, uh, even though he's required to be a Muslim, uh, has a lot of respect for, for, for the Christian, uh, the Anglican church, because according to him, the very first traditional ruler for Lokoja was somebody recommended by Bishop Ajayi Crowder. Mm. Yes. And uh, he actually was a, a, a Christian convert, one of those who came back from Sierra Leone. And, uh, you know, he was recommended as somebody who could take care of the community. Of course, by the setting then in, in northern Nigeria, you couldn't be... Uh, a traditional ruler without subscribing 
to the uh, caliphate. So he, he was required to convert. But at that point of his uh, enthronement, Crowder was there as a witness. Until today, uh, not only the present traditional ruler, a former pupil of uh, a school set up by the CMS, and he says he was a choir boy. And so when I go there, he will tell me so many things. But he still says that a traditional ruler cannot be enthroned in that community without the presence of an Anglican priest. Really? Yes. And so you find that even though there has been crisis, uh, religious crisis, all over uh, uh, parts of the north, uh, in, 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 the, in Lokoja community, that has been difficult because if you are willing to do that, uh, it means that um, family members will just uh, will harm themselves. Um, so you, you see that. Uh, so Western education was a great, great, great thing that came and prepared people to become the leaders in various sectors. Uh, another research um, finding is the fact that um, the, the, the um, legacies of the CMS, like health institutions, uh, became, as it were, the, the, um, the pathway for other um, medical uh, institutions coming in uh, to that setting. Other influences came in into that area, but definitely I have been able to show in my research that even though there were commercial uh, agents and uh, there were colonialists, the missionaries had a clear agenda and um, they, they were not there to exploit. They were there to help. And all over the place, we can see the fruit of what they had put in place. Uh, most notably is uh, this Western education that has raised a whole generation of people who are saying there's no way they can raise their hand against a Christian, even if they themselves are not converts, because they owe so much to the Christian faith. Yeah. Is CMS still active in, in Lokoja? Well, um, the face has changed. Uh, of course, as you know, CMS metamorphosed into the Anglican Church. Um, and so, um, to that extent, yes. Indeed, there are many people who if the best way you can get them to understand the Anglican Church, you just say CMS, and they say, oh, now we understand that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, you, you have yeah. gone through this. You, you've been a bishop for 14 years, 16 years, or something like that. Yeah. But you've gone through this. You've gone, you've gone, you've gone with your academic journey to a PhD. How would you speak to younger generations of African Christians thinking about studying theology, thinking about um, possibly leadership role in the church uh, from your experience? What, what words can you pass on to the younger generation of Africans? 
Well, um, thank you. Um, it is important that um, we uh, capture a distinct African Christian identity. Um, I know there have been African theology, African Christian theology, uh, people have written, uh, our Shetta has written, Christian Dixon has written, um, and BT and uh, Obi and Bediako. All of these people are written. Um, so the, the, the matter of identity is still um, a major thing. I'm glad that uh, after quite a while, we, we came to have um, the African Bible commentary. But one of the things that bothered me for a long time and still bothers me to a good extent is the fact that um, I keep asking myself, what contribution do we have to make? In the early 90s, for instance, I was in the UK and was um, part of a course uh, uh, that was mainly focused on um, hermeneutics, expository preaching. And whenever we, we uh, came to class on, on almost every new course we're doing, we're giving a set, a, a reading list. And one question that was always on my mind was, where are the African scholars? Is it that the only people who have something to say about Christianity, about Bible books, are these authors from the West? Where are we? What do we have to say? Are there people who have uh, studied the um, biblical languages or who can provide insight? So I was glad to see the um, African Bible commentary uh, come out, even if belatedly. Uh, but more and more, I, I, I'm not looking at it in terms of decolonization now, but I look forward to African contribution to enriching Christianity because when you look at a lot of things, the, there's um, probably greater affinity between the African and Jewish culture than uh, the Jewish and Western culture. And I want us to bring out the, the richness of this and help the African to understand that you can be a Christian and there's a lot that we need to um, um, rediscover about our understanding of God, which will in turn uh, enrich our understanding of Christianity. Um, so um, there are the entire value system uh, and African worldview has a lot to contribute and it seems to me that um, for a number of reasons, we have not come to full bloom yet. And I, I, I really look forward to seeing that happen. It's not a competition, but I do believe that there can be wholesomeness uh, about what we bring to the table, which others can benefit from. Uh, a lot of our theological institutions now, seminaries, are beginning to re, um, rethink their curriculum because apparently some of the 
so-called core courses that came from the Western uh, uh, worldview are having to be um, replaced with uh, more relevant uh, and uh, more, more, more relevant curriculum that can relate with the setting. So, younger um, generation, I would say, what your member in the church, I'm speaking as a bishop and as a pastor, yes. what your member wants to understand is not all the theories and the philosophies of Immanuel uh, uh, Kant and uh, all of the rest of them. But how does this faith relate to me in my situation, in my struggles, in my underdevelopment? I think that is it. And we must let people know that Christianity itself and the ministry of Jesus was rooted uh, in an essentially present community. More and more work should be done, bring our contributions to, 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 to the table. Uh, and um, I would love to see more work being done, more uh, uh, authors coming out, uh, publishing, uh, so that people can be uh, enlightened. Yes, not every, every community in Africa, especially the rural communities, not all of them are able to... Um, uh, uh, not, not, not all of them are able to relate with this thing, but surely there are those that can. I'll give an example. Once I was visiting one of our rural churches and they had prepared a program um, to welcome the bishop and there were very beautiful hymns selected. And then when I got there, with all the, the way they beat their drums to welcome me, and then into the church, into the sanctuary, the building. Uh, and then we got there. The same people who were dancing joyfully in their own way suddenly now said, okay, we are starting this service. Let us sing him this and this. As a poet myself, the hymn was beautiful. But I looked at the people and I said, no. They are struggling to even pronounce the words and to understand the, 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 the beauty and the random. So I stopped it and I said, can you choose your own locally composed hymns that express your faith? It was amazing how the entire atmosphere changed. Yeah. And... Uh, so more and more, we do uh, need to, um, yes, um, our, our, our brothers who have gone further in, uh, in along the distance um, uh, can help us. But I don't think it's a matter of some are superior to others, but let us see how we come together, um, you know, bring to the table what we have to enrich Christianity. Thank you. That was really powerful. Um, so, final question: I do ask everybody that 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 I talk to in these settings. Oh, can you name t- 
two or three African theologians, African Christian thought leaders that have helped shape you become who you are today? Um, I can think of some Ghanaian. The first that comes to mind is uh, a man by the name Kwesi Dixon, Ghanaian, and um, I, I, I particularly liked his uh, uh, writing, and it was very helpful uh, for me. Uh, and then um, somebody that I, I, I came to respect very, very strongly is um, Kwame Bediako. Um, his writings have been uh, really great. Um, Another person who you will not cause particularly making a theologian who exerted a major impact on our understanding of Christianity is Lamin Sani. Um, Lamin Sani's writings have uh, you know, cleared the fog uh, in a lot of ways. I have um, been privileged to meet him and to do a few things together with him. Uh, so uh, I, I think that um, he, he is uh, somebody who has been um, very, very helpful. Um, at the Nigerian end, um, we do have um, um, Biancato. Um, there is um, uh, Cornelius Olola. There is Wambuta. Uh, uh, he, he he took a course in African theology. Um, he's late now. Um, he was trying to develop what he called Savannah theology, but it's all along the line of um, um, talking about African uh, decolonizing theology. Um, Who is this? What? I don't think I've ever heard that name. Oh, okay. It's called Wambuta. Okay. Wambuta. Uh, I've forgotten his uh, first name just now. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, but W-A-M-B-U-T-D-A. Uh, that, of course, in my Anglican uh, um, setting, there is uh, John Beatty, Kenyan, uh, sure. and then, of course, Kobe, uh, again, another Ghanaian. Um, we have a few others in, in, in the Nigerian setting. There is Dakwa Ashaju, who uh, has been uh, rector of uh, our seminary and is actually the bishop theologian in, 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 in Nigeria. Well, naturally, uh, I would think more of church historians. Uh, so uh, there is uh, Godwin Tassier, uh, there's Obu Kalu, um, and one who is not an African, but who has contributed so, 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 so much is uh, Professor Andrew Walls, uh, a man who has helped to just help us to look at things uh, differently. Um, other church historians uh, include Abe Ajayi, who wrote uh, one of, I mean, he, he wrote one of the first major works on uh, Christian mission. 
here. And again, I'm glad to man have worked on some committees uh, um, uh, with him. And a number of uh, bishops who have been church historians themselves. Um, uh, I can mention a number of them. I mean, that's a long list. Thank you so much. On the one hand, you have stayed uh, with the literature, so and and that shows, and that's something that again uh, speaks to the younger generation of Africans. Uh, read and read African theology. <laughs> you yeah. can't you can you can't can't keep on reading European or North American theology forever. We've got to find our own resources somewhat and find African yeah. Yeah. thought leaders to, to listen to. Is there anything else that you'd want to speak to the church, the African church, especially the academic aspect of the African church? Right. Um, I am concerned that um, the church should be able to provide uh, a model of leadership that is an improvement on the general picture in Africa. I'm not saying that yet, but political leadership in Africa has been largely responsible for Africa's underdevelopment. And um, the church has not developed a, a respectable alternative. And it is important that um, the church in Africa should be able to come up with a biblical model of Christian leadership that can inspire politicians who go into politics to go with a sense of purpose, and that uh, the African society can feel that um, the church is not just another institution, but has something to offer that is hopeful. Thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a fair critique, and I hope the church listens. Uh, the continent in so many ways seems to be worse than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. 50 years ago. And yet it's it's full of Christians, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. 50-60% of Africa's population is Christian. Yeah. And yet the, the most Christian places are the ones that are seeing the most difficult political situations. Exactly. So, yeah, the church has to think itself into a new way of doing things that will show leadership that can speak to the nations, really. All right. Thank you, Bishop. Well, I hope uh, you find uh, some of what I've said helpful. Thank it is you. helpful. It is really helpful. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you, you have a good day. God bless.